This is a Solitaire Media original podcast. Hello, welcome to the Galway podcast. This is Fender Jackson. My guest this week is Catherine McMonish from AthenryMusicSchool.com. We have a lovely chat about her background and then we delve into how the school was founded and then we go into a lot of the methodology around how she teaches and how the school teaches and how I used to teach. I definitely talk more than I had planned to in this episode. I think it's a result of me missing teaching. I had a very unorthodox way of teaching because I use technology a lot. And there might be some music teachers out there who might be able to take an idea or two from my methods. And you're very welcome to them. Anyway, it's a long episode. I'm going to stop talking now and then wrap it up. This is the Galway Podcast. Hello, who are you and what do you do? Hey, Fender. My name is Catherine McMonish and I'm director of Athenry Music School. How are you? I'm fantastic. And yourself? Good, good. Cold weather. Cold weather. How does that affect instruments? Oh, the tuning goes all over the place. Um, kids come to the music school and the, the, the violin has been in the car for the day. And it is, yeah. Is it dangerous? Like in terms no, of, it uh, won't. It, it's not a good idea. We'd like instruments stored at a, you know, a, a less of a change of temperature. So in general, we say to parents, you know, pianos should be on internal walls, um, instruments kept in a sort of reasonable um, place. Like the hall is fine, but not beside a radiator. Pianos sort of should be on internal walls. I never heard that. And I think it's brilliant. Yeah, because your temperature fluctuations less. Yeah. You know? Um, it's wood. It's living. I know. I'm just thinking where my piano is. I just bought a piano. Good uh, man. But it's, it's on the outside wall. But it's in the, one of the warmer rooms of the house, so, yeah. You work around the logistics of your own home. That's the reality, you know, isn't but it? But ideally. Yeah, yeah, ideally, yeah. yeah. So, Catherine, thank you very much uh, for coming in. You are from Athen Rye Music School. Mm-hmm. Or, let's put this out of the way now, AthenryMusicSchool.com. This is it, yeah. yeah. You can check the website anytime. Yeah, and from there you'll find all the social stuff. So, um, how did you get into this line of work? I would have played violin and piano as a kid, and I knew I always wanted to teach kids. Um, and I moved to Athenry in 92 started, I had a baby at the time and I busked and I ended up being approached by a lady who became my mentor and she asked me to teach her daughter. So it was by accident, but with a a, a heart that knew that this is what I'm meant to do. Like you put me on the planet, I'll find a kid, you know, or you put me in the Sahara Desert. So you're I'll busking on the street? Busking on the street and with my some, eldest son, who's now 31, your in eldest? a sling. In a sling. Oh, oh, so the baby's in your, attached to you. Oh, yeah. In a papoose or something. Yeah. And you're playing the fiddle or violin. Uh, playing the violin at the time. Didn't yes. play the fiddle until later. Yes. And uh, the difference in a violin, I've just found this out from Kevin Burke. What's the difference in a violin and a fiddle? Zip. Well, one plays in B flat and the other one plays in G. Ah, uh, the East Galway. 
Maybe. <laughs> well, what yeah. he's saying there is the open strings. So the violin doesn't use as many open strings through choice. You finger the notes. That's actually a really nice distinction. Isn't it? Yeah. I, that blew my mind whenever, whenever he told me that. Yeah, the crossing, particularly East Galway triad style, it's the string crossing mm. that allows you to create that wah, the mwah mm. of the rhythm and the, and the lift within the beat mm. you get. But like I didn't play triad until I moved to Athenry and I remember uh, there was a concert orchestra in Galway at the time. Mm-hmm. So from busking, um, Sean Lennon, actually Charlie's son, came up to me in the street and went, I know where you should be playing. And it ended up um, getting into that concert orchestra. Um, that lady came up to me and said, I'd like you to teach my daughter. And I ended up with seven or eight kids in the house in Athenry. And I had a string quartet in Galway at the time. And I remember somebody, we went to rehearsal and, you know, somebody forgot their music or it was, you know, normal stuff. Um, but it annoyed me because I'm Northern Irish. And you go, ah, come on, we're meant to be rehearsing. And I walked in home and myself and my husband at the time went to the local pub. So it was the King John. And there's Kevin Rowan and Tom Cousins and Jerry Mulfahill sitting in a corner, no music, no music stands, just playing. And I went, I'm playing the wrong music. <laughs> and I remember sitting in and I'd one tune that I'd learned as a teenager. And they what were... What was that? Uh, Lady Anne. I don't think it was. A Boys of Blue Hill. Okay. Um, and... Uh, they were so kind because I would walk in with a new tune every week. It was in the winter time, yeah. So they were in the bar yeah. and they would let me play my new tune, but they'd play it at the start and then they'd go, play us that one again, Catherine. And then they'd let me play it at the end. Uh-huh. They were just magic. And then through that winter, I would have built a small repertoire of tunes. And then in the spring, it moved into the lounge and there was dancing. Mm. So you ended up playing within that first year of trad, you ended up I did play for dancers, mm-hmm. which is where you get the rhythm from, you know. And if I'd walked in in the spring, there's no way they would have let me sit in in the same way because it was functional then. You know, you're actually providing music for dancers. So I got this wonderful apprenticeship um, and I probably did that for about two years. And then I got cocky <laughs> and brought my fiddle into the crane, whereupon I sat for the whole session with my fiddle on my knee because I didn't know any of the tunes. And I went, oh, OK, keep going, you know. So I ended up doing about, in my head, giving myself about 10 years to get good at trad. Um, and through that period, I was teaching this, the, it was a private practice. Um, and I ended up grouping kids together and we played in mass every week. Mm. But the, like that bunch of kids were amazing. And quite a lot of them are music teachers now that we would have been dealing with maybe an extra bit in the service. And I'd have been scribbling arrangements, like handwritten arrangements or... On, on know, the spot. On the spot, wow. going, um, I didn't write a cello line for that, you know. Wow. And then we've had the, cell- the cellos there this week. And those kids were, the sight reading was amazing. The fact that they would just take a scribbled, you know, here, quick, do this, yeah. you know. Um, and it taught me a lot about arrangement, about kids need to perform, um, that lovely sort of inclusivity of it's not a performance. It's, you know, it's a functional way of playing music, but they played every week. Mm. So and going from that. Um, my husband died and I realized I had no qualification. <laughs> I had two, two small kids and no qualification. And my mentor, a lady called Eileen O'Donoghue, 
sat me down on one occasion and went, what do you want to do? I went, I think I want to start a music school. This is 97. Uh And she said, well, you're going to have to do something about it. (laughs) And she said, if you go to college, you'll need a second subject. Um, And I went, "Okay, mathematics. It's always good at maths. And we went, she drove me down to Maynooth. And I decided I wanted to go to a small town with the two kids rather than going to Dublin or Cork. And we met Anthony O'Farrell, who was the professor of mathematics at the time. And he said, um, Catherine, when, when's the last qualification you have in maths? And uh, 1988. And he went, oh, I think we'd need something more recent than that. And Eileen was a maths teacher, coincidentally, and she came up to the house every Wednesday lunchtime for two years and did my Leaving Cert mathematics with me. Wow. Um, and I got an A1 in honours, good girl. Oh, very good. So, um, well, Eileen, a fantastic teacher. And I went to Manus for three years. Uh-huh. Study. Did a, I did a music and maths degree. Right, yeah. Yeah. So from that, then you, how did you venture into uh, Athenry Music School? Or What happened was I came back in 2003 and I got a job with GTI in their music department. Um, so I was teaching violin and I was teaching their Leaving Cert, their academic music. And I got a job with Music Matters out in New Inn. Mm-hmm. And they'd brought me in to the Suzuki world um, through a summer camp mm-hmm. that I was taking their orchestras. And I remember looking at their students and it, it wasn't, they were very, very well set up, posturally incredibly well set up. But it was more this enthusiasm that the, the children would have an hour class and then they'd move classroom. But because all the repertoire was memorised, they played in the corridor as well. Like they just finished an hour's worth of practice. Yeah. And then they moved down the corridor and they played in the corridor. And I just thought this massive enthusiasm for music and life within that methodology. And I got totally converted. And when I came back, so Music Matters employed me as a orchestral teacher and a fiddle teacher. And I started doing the Suzuki teacher training, which is quite an extensive um, training program that like took me actually 18 years to finish. But I had two more kids in the in the mix. Um, in general, it would take about four or five years through a weekend, a month to do that training. Um, but philosophically, it's so sound from a it's nearly like doing a parenting course. You know, be pleasant to the children. They will work better with praise on all occasions. And it's looking at a step by step. So this is a Japanese, I'm guessing by the name. It's, it's a Japanese. Japanese methodology from Shinichi Suzuki, who would have came to his family made violins. Mm. He didn't play and he started teaching himself as an adult and looked at how do we successfully educate our kids? Mm. How do we do that? And he looked at language development. So from the child is born, you are surrounded by the language that your parents speak. Um, Just take one language. And essentially you have multiple repetitions of a word. So mummy, oh, look, daddy's in the door. Oh, my goodness, daddy's still here. So you have multiple repetitions. You have a massive positivity for an approximation of a sound. So if the child says mum or dada, which is not correct, mm-hmm. our reaction is one of massive positivity. Mm-hmm. So it's an age appropriate praise. Mm-hmm. 
And then we give, without criticism, we give the model. So you go, mum, 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 yes, mummy. Child wants to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it's the absorption by osmosis of your environment. So children will pick up the words that we don't want them to say and say them in front of your mother-in-law. Tell me about it. Okay. My kids are 10 and 13 now. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay. And my mum would have taught us to say knickers is a bad word. So that... That's knickers, by the way. Yes. uh, Gonks. Yeah. Oh, for goodness sake, that's a West of Ireland word. But it, like she trained us to not swear yeah. by giving us a word that she went, she feigned horror when we said it. Yeah. Um, children will pick things up. So when you look at an empirical educational method, yeah. what we do is tiny steps that will serve every child of every age group, every child of every range of abilities. Yes. And that they, you don't miss one out because a child is good mm-hmm. or a child is fast. And that it is only up to the amount of repetition that we do. And the repetition makes something concrete. Mm-hmm. So if you take a physical movement, like tying your shoelaces, mm-hmm. initially a child will do 10 separate movements and take a, an age you know, a seven-year-old doing their shoes in the morning and you're going, we need to budget in another 10 minutes here, get mm-hmm. them to school. Whereas what your brain does when you do the same combination of movements, maybe a hundred times, your brain will actually go, hold on a second, this is very inefficient. And it, it's not motor memory. Motor memory doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It is a synaptic bridge that your brain builds between the cognitive centres that you need to touch on to get those combination of movements. Synaptic bridge between the cognitive centres. You've really studied this for 18 years. I, I, I would talk about this all the time. Okay, carry Talking. on. Don't let me interrupt. Keep going. Well, it, it's, so you look, okay, it's the same thing as adults who, when we get our driving test and you're in company, in the car, and you're going around the first roundabout that you've experienced in that setting, mm-hmm. you tell everybody to shut up and you turn the radio off. Yes. Because it's not assimilated into your body. Mm. When we get a skill that is assimilated into our body or assimilated into your brain, which is actually what happens, right. then you have a concrete. You have something that you can, you watch trad musicians and they have a chat while they're playing. Yeah. They're not thinking about what they're doing. They are but it's programmed, it's hardwired into their brain. Yeah. Now we can do something else. And it takes a long time. Um, and I, it's that multiple repetitions that we want, which age group in life is most tolerant of repetitions. Well, if you ask a two-year-old what story they want, they want the same one as yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, tell me that story about grandpa and granny. Or tell me the story about the red bus mm. or tell me the, you know, children like repetition. Yeah. And therefore, with the Suzuki methodology, you can start at a very young age. So as soon as the child is actually dry at night is the is the marker. Wow. <laughs> you know, if you have that bodily control, then they're, they're ready to go. And the, the secret, the real secret to this is that it represents or it. It recognises 
the parent as the primary educator, mm -hmm. which I think in most other education systems, the parent is shunted out. Mm -hmm. Whereas within the music school now in Athenry, and I will answer your question about how I set it up in a minute, um, all parents attend all the lessons with the kids up to the age that they finish national school. Okay. They're involved in the lessons. They are prized as far as their input is concerned. And you guys know your kids best. Mm -hmm. A teacher doesn't know your child best. We know our methodology. We know our instrument. We know what we're doing. We know our jobs. But this is your child. Mm -hmm. So there's a triangular support network between the child, the parent, the parent, the teacher. The teacher is the model for the child. And there's this um, psychological support that when a child hits a blip in practice, which we all will, we don't necessarily want to do, we don't want to wash our teeth every day, mm. you know, but that we can support that parent to go, okay, what's going on? At Salt Hill Media, we record the life stories of older people as a gift for their future generations. We appear to be the only organization on the island of Ireland providing this service. What does that look like? An older person sits and answers questions about their life stories. For instance, what were their holidays like as children? Where did their parents meet? And what were their jobs? Where's their final resting place? And what about their parents? and so on. This is a perfect gift for people who hit another milestone. For example, a retirement gift, entering a new decade, a significant wedding anniversary, or it could just be a regular gift. The clever thing about this is that it is a time capsule to be enjoyed for future generations to come. Some people say, but my life story is not that interesting. It is interesting to those who follow after you. Other people remark, I could do this myself. We say, and so you should. However, more often than not, these life stories do not get recorded. So we advise that you go to salthillmedia.com and book a recording session for three months' time. If in three months' time, your recording has not happened, then we will do that for you. Go to salthillmedia.com today to book your life recording. Thank you. This is the Galway Podcast. What do you mean by blip? Okay, so you start a three-year-old off and they're highly enthusiastic and then you get a push for autonomy at seven. Mm -hmm. So part of the push for the autonomy is I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to control my own life. Uh -huh. So how do we respect the child's need for a wee bit more control? Mm -hmm. And how we do that is actually give them choices. So would you like to play this piece first or this piece? You're not asking them, do they want to play a piece? You're just giving them control. Yes. Would you like to have red socks or blue socks? Uh -huh. You're not saying you're not wearing socks today. Would you like today. to clean the toilet or would you like to clean <laughs> or mop the floors? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, or would you like me to show you how to do X? But you give them choices. Yes. So that with that comes a feeling of power, feeling of control, and then they want to do it again. Yeah. That's one way with a seven-year-old. Uh -huh. You know, with a 10-year-old, 
um, you can actually set a reward system up, but it's got to be a long term reward. Yeah. So if you do 30 stickers on a wall over, you know, don't miss a day. So uh-huh. practice every day. Child's age plus or minus three minutes is mm. grand. So if you have a three year old and they play for 30 seconds, you are successful. Mm. And it's to manage those expectations of the parent and then look at what way can we encourage our kids. But the best way you encourage your kids um, we had a very interesting staff meeting a number of years ago. So there's 40 of us sitting around, Hungarians, Colombians, Germans, Irish, you know, trad musicians, classical heads, um, jazz heads. And we looked at why are we music teachers? Why are we musicians? The only commonality was that music was prized in each of our households. Mm. So like um, my mum is uh, mostly blind so my dad would have done a lot of the house orientated jobs. Mm. And one of them was obviously going shopping. Mm-hmm. So he went grocery shopping on a Saturday morning. And there were two things he did. He bought me a double tape every week. I got Bernstein this week. I got, you know, Django Reinhardt this week. So I'd listen to the tape for a week. But he also would sit in the car and would drive my mum nuts. Like he'd have stuff for the freezer in the back of the car. He might drive into the driveway and he'd be sitting there for 10 minutes and just going, what's he doing? He was waiting for the piece to finish. Oh. Uh. So he had this, we always had music in the house. Uh-huh. And we had a huge variety of music, but we would really good quality music, you know. Um, and it was the same when we were talking to the teachers. It was like, yeah, my dad played that all the time. Like we knew all the words to Bob Dylan. It didn't matter what the music was. It was that you changed the atmosphere in your house through music. Yeah. And you can change the relationship with your kid through music. That's what Suzuki education is about. Wow. My mind's being blown here. It's cool, isn't it? Well, I'm just thinking about all the practices of music in my home. So every evening at at, uh, mealtime, we take turns in choosing which song comes next. Oh, we call it YouTube About. YouTube About. Yeah. Well, we do Spotify. And then at nighttime, um, we pick three songs. Uh, the boys pick one each and then I pick one and I play all three on the guitar and sing them a song each. That's brilliant. Well, you haven't heard the song. <laughs> you haven't heard the it, song. it doesn't actually matter what it is because you're you're having a relationship with your kids yeah. through music. Aye. We do the same thing. We sit around if there's a family gathering, you know, when you're sitting chatting Aye. but and you want music in the background and we, we call it YouTube about. Yeah. So it's like um, Rory might play Bioiga. You know, I might play Brad Meldow, you know, there'd be something else going on, Zaz, you know, French singer. Um, It's great fun. And you get new music that way. Yeah. That, you know, somebody's somebody's previous song and you go, oh, you've never heard, Mm. you know, um, Genesis. Mm -hmm. Let's listen to this. Yeah. Early Genesis. Early Genesis, definitely. (laughs) Um, Peter Gabriel. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, how did you get into Athen Rye then? Did you answer that? And I was, nope. I was, I was, I was went round in circles. <laughs> um, what happened was um, Music Matters had a set of teachers in Oran Moore. I was teaching in Chum, um, and there were kids in New Inn. Mm. So that's that triangulated area in which the kids in New Inn had an orchestra. Mm. The kids in the Chum Oran Moore area didn't. And I think the best thing we can do with kids who are playing music is gang them together because you end up with this social function and then you put them on a bus and give them a packet of crisps and then they're happy. Mm. 
So we set up an orchestra in Athenry, um, about 12 kids. One of the original members is now on our board, which I'm very proud of. Oh. Emma Martin was um, the leader of that orchestra. Congratulations, Emma. And, yeah, big time. Um, she's great. Um, so we had an orchestra going and then we ended up with a wee centre in Athenry, thanks to the Gwail Skull Lair that was setting up at the same time. And then it just got too big to mm. be, it was sort of meant to be a branch of Music Matters and it just got untenable as that. And I couldn't do both jobs. I was director out in Music Matters at the time. So I actually stopped working with Music Matters, but stayed within that Suzuki world. And um, Warren McLaughlin would have brought um, Suzuki from Cork to the west of Ireland. Um, and, and Athenry just grew. So we started with four teachers, Helen Farrell and myself um, would have been the original and she is the co-director. Uh, Kevin Brett came in on guitar. We went to college with him. So it's um, Helen and myself and Kevin. Um, Helen O'Donoghue, who was my mentor's daughter, who was my first student, came in as the vocal teacher. Um, and we'd Unani Lanachan, who was also a student of mine, um, that came in on, on harp. And she was actually the f- first and only Suzuki trained lever harp teacher in the world. Wow. Um, she went to Turin for three years to train. Wow. Um, so we started with the five of us. And what, what year was this? What year? That's 2007. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it just, it grew. We grew in this lovely string department. Um, we brought in teachers that I did my teacher training with. And we've now all strings, um, all wind apart from oboe. Guys, if there's an oboe teacher out there, please I come to me. No way. In Kunming in China. Oh, well, that's hugely beneficial. Um, we've got a lovely trad department. Uh, we've got a full guitar department. Um, we've got drums. We've got vocal. Um, we've got a kindergarten department um, with Adele Coughlin doing colour strings from six months on. So that that whole reading programme is a four-year progressionary um, colour strings and Kodai programme that starts the kids off and teaches them how to sing in tune, which is innate, but needs taught. Mm. Like speaking is innate, but needs taught. Mm. Um, And ends up with the kids reading music by the time they're five. (laughs) It's class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's just, it's grown. And you teach trad stuff. We do indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Steph Jeremiah, Brendan Laracy, Anna Faulkner, John Flanagan. um, Ellen Pipes? Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. Um, so that's in your shopping list too. Ellen Pipe teacher and Obu player, yeah, teacher. Yeah. So listen, if you're listening, <laughs> get in touch at absolutely at com. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, brilliant. We've talked about Suzuki already, so that's good. Can I ask, whenever you're teaching an orchestra, and this is me being really from a personal point of view, how, how do you teach an orchestra? Because I, I was in China as a teacher teaching performing arts, but I was mostly teaching music. And the way I did it is, I don't know if it's conventional or not. So I'm interested, should I just tell you how I do it? Go for it, yeah. What I would do, I taught them Batman, for example. And I taught them, you know, Batman by Hans Zimmer. Go yeah, on. Yeah, so it's my own... Mix of that, I think I mixed like three different the three different the trilogy together, 
And what I did was, I also taught them the Ecstasy of Gold by Ennio Morricone from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. You know? Okay. Do, 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 do. That one. Nice. Beautiful, obviously. And uh, <laughs> but it's Ennio Morricone. So what I did was I arranged everything on the computer, put it in, in uh, to all the different parts. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I'd go around the room and ask all the kids, you're writing this down now. <laughs> I'd asked all the kids, what's your first instrument choice? What's your second instrument choice? What's your third instrument choice? And the reason why I did that is because if you had nine people wanting to play the drums, we only had two drum kits, electric and acoustic. So I'd try and give them the first instrument choice. And then if not, I'd go to the second instrument choice. And they're usually within the first two. But what happened was I'd then be able to arrange all the different parts. So if there's an oboe part, I'd put that in the mm-hmm. keyboard. So they're going to play the oboe sound on the keyboard, for example. And then it was all arranged on the computer and they were able to see their own part up on the screen. I would project it along with the bars. And then I'd overdub me counting out the bars. So one, Two. Wow. So they knew which bar they were on. And then on the pieces of paper, because I print out the scores, I'd write out, you know, what bar numbers they were. So then they could hear, okay, bar 11. Teacher, I'm lost. They can just hear, I'm in bar 11. Okay, so I can just find my piece of music again here. A lot of work, yeah. It, it's a hell of a lot of work. You're very high tech compared to what I am. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and the other thing is, you know, you, you, it's quite loud in the room then because you have to have the music louder effectively than the instruments. But I would usually have headphones. Yeah, I am high tech. And yeah. I did have, I had a very funky, they really supported me in a big way so that I had a huge desk. I was able to, you know, give them a mix in the headphones. The drummers were able to keep the time that way. So, but this is not conventional and I grant you that, you know, that... Actually, what you're saying is the methodology is very similar but you're working on a massive computer and I'm work, working with chalk and talk. Yes. So so this is why I'm interested. How do you, what's the conventional way of teaching? Because I, I was just thinking, how can I get away with this? Because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trained in, in teaching music. So I had to make do with what skills I have and the, the skills I have are technical. You did a fantastic job. And it's, it's not about what we do. It's about how much the kids enjoy it. It's about how we... Um, work with the children like the, the adult in the room when you're making music is a facilitator of a youth group all of whom are volunteers so I think the first thing is that ethos of what would you like to do um, I'm talking to you like everybody in the music school is called by their first name because we're no different you know we're just older yeah. Um, if we do a concert generally we're in the same shirts as the kids uh-huh. and that's from a scouting ethos in which you know, if I'm asking a kid to wear a shirt, I'm going to wear it too. So I think it's one, it's that ethos of we're all volunteers. So let's be nice. Um, a sort of philosophy of sea and sky. In other words, if I'm the sky and I reflect well, then the kids will bump back at me. Yeah. You know, if you treat them with respect and kindness and just delighted to see them in the room. Um, what you're talking about is a, is a pedagogical methodology. So when we start an orchestra, What's happened with our kids is they've all had individual lessons for about three years. Um, So they are capable of playing their instrument without looking at it. Because if you're looking at music, you need to be looking at the music Mm. and not dropping your hand away all the time. Mm -hmm. So you need to be physically set up that that child is comfortable with their instrument. Mm -hmm. 
and walking into my creation orchestra, it's called, they would hopefully know what their open strings look like on the stave. But they don't need to know any theory, like how I teach the four strings is I say, I lived in this house in Dublin and it was amazing. You walked in the front door and it was all the bedrooms. How sensible is that? You took off your coat, you put it straight into the wardrobe. None of this stuff at the bottom of the stairs to be taken up. And then, guys, I had a basement, you know, so we walked down into the basement and it was the kitchen. What's your string that's in the basement? Mm. You know? Wow, you have to walk down two lines, two stairs oh, to get brilliant. into the basement. So I can teach that to a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. I can teach, what's your, what's your highest string? And often they'll actually name the one that is geographically highest. Mm-hmm. And you say, yes, but which one sounds highest? Mm-hmm. So again, no criticism. Yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. But think about it this way. So you get a high string. So they've got their, on violin, they've got their lowest string is G. Their highest string is E. And I work with those two strings for a week. Mm-hmm. They're concrete. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's, which string is beside the G string? Oh, that's the D string. Look at this one. Mm-hmm. He's he's like my bedrooms. He's just in the door, mm-hmm. you know? So we work with open strings. And what we've we've got is a section, I call them the green violins, because they're the greenest. Um, I just color code things. I don't want it hierarchical. Um, it's not useful. Um, and there's a green section in, in the Creation Orchestra that are the kids who are there for the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they, before they enter into orchestra, they've done a, we do solo concerts with everybody at the end of the year. So all teachers have to present all their kids. And you can see when a child is ready. And I actually go up to them after the solo concert and I go, I need you. You know, do you think you'd come to orchestra? Oh, yeah, I need you. Now, and then you do this exactly the same thing as you do. You put everything into a computer around the children that are in front of you that year. Mm-hmm. So if I know I've got a really sort of quite high bunch of 10 year olds, you write the music. So you, f- you f- either find the piece or compose the piece mm-hmm. that is around those instruments. So I might have harps in an orchestra one year and have no harps the next year. I might, um, my senior orchestra th- this year has a magic wind section. Um, Katie and Aidan on flute, Sean on saxophone and Harry on clarinet and they are cracking but they're giving me a lot of work mm. because they didn't exist last year. Mm. So suddenly I've got to look, work out how to <laughs> write for an E-flat saxophone yeah. um, and that sort of thing. So every single piece that we do, every note is taken into a music writing programme for those kids. And then, Same thing. So whenever you're like getting the... I, I often talk about, you know, getting the, the, the plane, you're building the, the plane and flying it at the same time. But whenever it actually t- takes off, you know, in, in terms of you're getting away from the computers and so on, are you walking them through each, okay, here's bar one and we're going to do bar one, we're going to just do bar one to bar four? How okay, that it, that's age appropriate. So within the Creation Orchestra, if I got four bars done in the first week in September, yeah. I would be delighted uh-huh. But I expect their progression rate. We did a new piece last week. So we're in after Christmas. New piece. Did 32 bars. Wow. Because they're now reading. Right, right. You know, so that progression rate, my youth orchestra, um, okay, with the creation orchestra, it takes generally about an hour to prep about 30 seconds worth of music. Right. And it wouldn't be concert standard. It would just, we can get from one end to the other. Walking through. Walking through yeah. it. 
Whereas with the youth orchestra, they could do six or seven minutes worth of preparation in an hour. Again, it's not concert standard yet. Um, but the, that progression rate, like they, they should be, you put a sheet of music in front of them and they're reading it. There will be the odd hand that go up and I yell, 33, mm-hmm. you know, or we're going for A or, or just, you know, stop, restart, uh-huh. um, find you. Uh-huh. But then it's the, it's when they can play the notes. And my favourite bit in orchestra is when they're really on top of the notes and then you get the shape. And then you get the musicality and you go, OK, where where is the phrase? Mm. Where is the message in this? How do you make somebody feel excited by music? What is exciting about music? Mm. How do you make somebody feel sad? How do you get these colours um, and contrasts and... You know, that's cracking. And when the kids play well, mm. they know they play well. Mm. Like we sound cool. Mm. You know, and the only way it is hard for teenagers, if you're walking around with a violin, you're you're waving a red flag a bit socially. Whereas if you play well with anything, it's cool. Yeah. So let's be cool. It's funny. I remember... One of my kids saying to me, teacher, I was conducting, mm-hmm. I, I was conducting that Ernie Murray Connolly piece and, uh, you know, it'd been a lot of work to get to where we were, but we got it and, and it was like the plane had taken off. We weren't using the computer anymore and I'm conducting it in the classroom and this kid said to me, teacher, how come you look so amazingly happy? <laughs> and I says, because what you're doing is absolutely beautiful. Oh, yeah. Know? Um, I got to conduct our orchestra, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, um, in the National Concert Hall um, for the first time in 2012. And I was so nervous. I was doing a suite that I'd written for them. And then we were doing the Chrysler Preludium and Allegro with one of our teachers as a soloist. And I was really nervous about it. And I worked out, I was conducting in February and I started prepping probably the previous February. But I worked out in the September, I want to conduct this thing from memory. Mm-hmm. And I worked out, I'd need to actually probably conduct it in my head about 300 times mm. before I stepped on that stage to have the cushioning mm. for nerves and stuff like that. But when you do it, it's mm. such a buzz. Yeah. It is such, it's the, it's my favourite thing in life to do. So, so you'd be standing in your kitchen or whatever and you're, in your head, playing the piece of music yep. and conducting it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> so do I. My well, mum says if you put me on Mars, I'd find a kid to teach and then um, you'd leave it, you know, for two years and I'd find another kid and I'd go, come on, play together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great fun. So do you teach music theory? And music writing as well as being able to play your instrument? Quite a lot of our kids actually will. Okay, one, we teach theory within the classes. Right. Um, so all children within the music school will learn to read if they want to. I've done a literacy programme with some trad musicians who wanted to become literate. And we looked at, um, we did that last June and sort of did a pilot of how do you take a teenager who can play really quite well and do a method that doesn't kill them. You know, it isn't so painful that it's, you know, pulling teeth. Um, and those kids were great. Yeah. Um, so they all learn that. 
there are children that gravitate towards creation and improvisation and we encourage that strongly. Um, my son Dara, uh, Dara McManus, who lives in Berlin, is coming across on the 30th of January mm. and doing creative um, investigations into improvisation and songwriting. That's mm. actually open to anybody oh. um, in Athenry on the 30th of January. That's a Tuesday. Uh-huh. Um, and that he would do a summer camp as well in that um, we've supported, like we have a, we've won an award actually for the amount of compositions that we have commissioned over the last 15 years because if we don't, if we if we don't play fresh music that's Irish by Irish composers who happen to be alive, um, you know, we don't need to play dead white guys music all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's very important. And we, like, for instance, we had um, Jeevan and Leela Kings North, who are students within the school, did a world premiere last September that was around uh, Traveller's Tales. So we, a lady called Anne-Marie Ward in Athenry would be a member of the travelling community and she did a show round like silkies and puka and the mythological um, stories that are within the travelling community and we commissioned these kids to write a piece for each of the characters mm. and they performed it. They brilliant. Wow, that's brilliant. You know? But yeah. it's like it's it's to do something that is like to sit down and write a, a composition that is 17 minutes long is not so hard, yeah. And you need an incredible degree of theory and and knowledge and creativity. Whereas, how do we foster that? We'll ask somebody to write thirty seconds, yeah, and, and then I, perform it. And I love your thought of um, diving into the character of the person, and I, you know, and you know, how would that person if they were a, per, a percussionist? Mm-hmm. What way would would the would their personality? be brought out in a, via percussion or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It is about just showing your own personality and your own creativity. But it composition is hard. Yeah. So to give a starting point, to give an inspiration and then to teach techniques. Yeah. Um, so if you have one musical idea, you know, and you have another musical idea, mm. you've actually got five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can do the two in juxtaposition. You can do the two on top of each other. Mm. You can do one in elongation. Uh, you know, you can have silence in between. Um, you've lots of different ways of taking what seems to be not very much. I, you know, there's. I've only got two ideas. You've got loads. You know. Can I share with you um, a, a, a music theory lesson I used to do in China? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I miss teaching. This is the problem. And it's, it's coming out of me now because um, I didn't realize how much I, I miss teaching until this conversation. Um, anyway, I haven't taught in a year and a half. But um, 11-year-olds, I used to teach them. Uh, I'd, I'd get them to choose any song. Okay, give me any song. And they'd do Love Story by Taylor Swift. So I'd, I'd get the circle of fifths up. Yeah, yeah. And then I'd play the chords from Taylor Swift's love story. And then I'd show them, okay, what do you notice about the relationship of these chords? And they don't notice it the first time. And then I'd ask them to choose another song. I don't know. Let it be by the Beatles, you know. And then it's coming up. I play the chords and show them where they are in the circle of fifths. And then you do it a few more times. They quickly realize that you're using one quarter of the circle of fifths. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, okay, so now we're looking at a quarter of the pizza. 
So then what I'd get them to do, I'd split them up into groups and then give them a ukulele each and give them the chords and then say, OK, I want you to come up with uh, three or four chord structures that you like. And then we play them at the end of the class and then we'd vote on them. And the chord structure that they like the most is the chorus. The second one is the verse. The third one is the bridge. And then, no way. And then the fourth one would be the intro. And then what I'd do is I'd punch them into the computer and then we'd play them the next class. And then it... <laughs> Fender is really cool. <laughs> so, what you've done is you've, you've recognised and acknowledged every child's contribution in it. Uh-huh. The the fourth least popular one is actually the one that you've done first. Uh-huh. That becomes the introduction, which is great messaging. Yeah. And everything's involved. Yeah. So they want to do is... Why aren't you teaching? Oh, because I'm doing this. And I know, uh, you know, I, I sort of, you know, four years time... I, I think maybe, that's a loss to the education system, but anyway. Maybe, but I'm sharing it with you and other people who are listening. So maybe they'll take this idea and run with it. What I'd do then is I'd ask them, okay, what do you think of, because we're going to write a Christmas song, what do you think of with Christmas? And they'd, re- they'd come up with all these words, presents, gifts, snow, snowman, mm-hmm. Santa, and then write all these words in the board. And then we'd play the chord structures over and over again, the chorus, and then, okay, we're just going to listen to this in, on a loop. I want you all to think, just sing whatever comes out. And then I'm going to come up to you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to capture those. And those are going to be the melodies. So I would, you know, whatever. What instruments are on? Are they on? At this stage, nothing. So it's only playing on the, on the, on the, on the computer. So it's only going to loop, okay. loop, loop of like A minor, G, F, F, whatever. So I would capture, I'd, somebody would sing something that I would capture and think that could be good. You know, I'd pause it. I'd punch it in the computer as a flute line. So then you flesh out the whole melody of the whole, you know, for the whole song. And then the next class, okay, we got the melody. Now we're going to plug in the lyrics. So then, you know, Santa's coming down the chimney, you know. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be looking at the lyrics that they've already come up with. And they'd just plug the lyrics into the melody line. And then they'd make it, uh, you know, they'd go off on one. Like, Like, I remember... They were singing about Santa getting stuck up a chimney because his arse is, or his butt was so big. <laughs> That's one of those words you don't want your kids to learn. Yeah, but I, mean, I could get away with butt. I thought butt was 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 manageable. And then, uh, and they were loving it. You know, mm-hmm. hilarious. And then, and then we'd write. Um, they'd learn all the different pieces, and then they perform it. These are eleven-year-olds. You know, who have written their own Christmas song. So, um, yeah, anybody listening, that's a, that's a good technique for writing music and music theory and all the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I approve. You don't, <laughs> you don't need my approval, but it's, it's very cool. You've got awards and uh, partnerships. Talk about them. Oh, we love. Uh, okay, we, oh, we collaborate whenever we can, to be honest. So, they, for instance, we're going to Brussels with the youth orchestra um, working with... Uh, there's an organisation called ESTA, which is the European String Teachers Association, which is essentially just all the nerds that love talking about kids um, all talk together and we nick each other's ideas. That's what ESTA is about. Um, and ESTA Ireland is up and active. And so it's ESTA Ireland, um, ESTA Belgium, obviously, um, and we've got Slovenia. So what we're doing is we're taking our Athenoi kids across. We're working with a bunch of kids from Leuven um, in Belgium. And then we have two professional musicians who are BBC World Music Award winners coming in to do a day's worth of workshop 
and we've got a concert in the Irish College in Leuven on Monday the 12th of February. So uh, that's a magic collaboration. We're working, we're very proud of this one actually. There was a piece of music that the aforementioned Dara McMonish and a lady called Ruth Smith. So Ruth is a um, absolutely high class facilitator, songwriter, just a, a wonderful human being. You just like being in the same room as her, to be honest. And we brought her in in 2019 because we were doing an environmental program. So we were actually working, another collaboration, but we're working with the Tidy Towns and the NRA to plant 10,000 trees. Oh. Well, you know, we, we have a body of people who are massively active and supportive. And if you can get 300 volunteers, you can plant 10,000 trees in a day, which we did mm-hmm. just before um, 1st of March 2020, we did this. But in conjunction with that, we did a set of discussions with our youth choir initially, so the 12 to 18 year olds, about how they felt about how my generation, so I'm born in 1972, how my generation has left the environment for them um, because they're not in control of whether we use petrol or whether we have windmills or planning laws that we don't necessarily agree with or any of this stuff. And it transpired that they actually felt quite cross with us and quite apathetic um, and that that's, that's a bad mixture in teenagers, angry, apathetic kids. So we went, OK, can we do something about this that we can look at either processing one, the, the emotions that are involved with that? And can we come up with a piece of music? So the with Ruth Smith, the, those youth kids wrote four songs, very much like the method that you're talking about. In other words, what do you think about this? So they ended up with four songs about the historic elements, those um, earth, air, fire, water. Mm. And they have four songs around that. And then they did a fifth song that I think is gobsmacking, that they came up with the concept that if my generation hadn't lost touch with its spiritual connection to the earth, then we wouldn't have done anything to the earth, the air, the water and the fire that we have done because we would have been spiritually respectful. Mm-hmm. And they wrote a fifth song called Ether. And of I was, their own volition? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, kids are class. Yeah, yeah. Just, keep, you know, keep asking them questions and they'll come up with stuff. But you easy. lit the fire. The fire, you, you know. Uh, it was a combination of the people that were in the music school at the time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, there's a multiplying effect when you get really... Um, cool people together mm. who want to do stuff. Mm. So it, you can end up with magic, but it is a multiplying effect. Mm. Um, there's some of the parts and all of that crack. So, and we then gave those five songs to Dara, um, who's a, a great composer, and he wrote orchestral accompaniments to them and then wrote intermezzi. So we've ended up with this song cycle of about 18 minutes that's entirely ours. Mm. You know, um, Ruth is from Portumna. Dara was born in Athenry. It was Athenry kids that did it. And we've involved now, so it got killed in 2020. I'm going to avoid the C word. Um, and we've reinstated it. But what we've done is we've involved all three of the secondary schools in Athenry. So we've got Colostra, Nocri, Claren College, Presentation Convent, and we've the Boys National School because they house one of our double bass projects. But I'm very interested in all of these kids singing mm. and singing in a big group with that orchestra um, 
And we've got a concert coming up on the 18th of February in Galway Cathedral, 3pm. That's a Sunday afternoon. So that's collaborating with those four schools, our youth orchestra. And we've got an orchestra from Miami, just because we have an orchestra from Miami up our sleeve. Wow. Okay, so that's, so that's the, it's the level of collaboration. I think that, again, it's about bringing lots of people into the room, you know, and seeing what they bring. And that's why you collaborate. You, you collaborate with lots and lots of kids, lots of schools. Um, cool Music in, in Gort would be very close partnership, a relationship. Uh, we have an orchestra festival coming up with them in the 3rd of March in Lockray. Um, and with Charleville. So the um, Corkonians are going to travel up to us. And again, it's this multiplying effect of our kids are enthused. Uh, it's not a competition. Like the school, Athenoy is a non-competition based ethos. Good. Entirely. Mm. So um, we don't do very many grades, to be honest. Like the, the young chap Dara there went to the Conservatoire of music in Dublin, having never sat a grade in music. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you, you don't need a grade. We just play um, and we don't compete. We compete with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Could we have been better? Could we play harder music if we find a different way to teach it? We just compete with ourselves. You know, are you the best version of yourself this morning? At Salt Hill Media, we record the life stories of older people as a gift for their future generations. We appear to be the only organisation on the island of Ireland providing this service. What does that look like? An older person sits and answers questions about their life stories. For instance, what were their holidays like as children? Where did their parents meet? And what were their jobs? Where's their final resting place? And what about their parents? And so on. This is a perfect gift for people who hit another milestone. For example, a retirement gift, entering a new decade, a significant wedding anniversary, or it could just be a regular gift. The clever thing about this is that it is a time capsule to be enjoyed for future generations to come. Some people say, but my life story is not that interesting. It is interesting to those who follow after you. Other people remark, I could do this myself. We say, and so you should. However, more often than not, these life stories do not get recorded. So we advise that you go to salthillmedia.com and book a recording session for three months' time. If, in three months' time, your recording has not happened, then we will do that for you. Go to salthillmedia.com today to book your life recording. Thank you. This is The Galway Podcast. Do you know, the the sad thing about, about grades and all the rest is... I, I, in my experience of watching musicians, and I've been playing music for 40 years or whatever. So uh, You're not that old. <laughs> not, I started whenever I was minus four. <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost like a, like a dog running up to a hoop 
and jumps through the hoop, the hoop being the grade, mm-hmm. you know. So the dogs run up the hoop, jumps through the hoop and doesn't go back really that much. Keeps going to the next hoop. That's a really good analogy. And, 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 and the sad thing is that they don't play beyond to run up to the hoop. So, and the way I have always taught, um, by the way, just to answer that other question, why am I not teaching? Because I'm a substitute teacher. I am a teacher, but I only get a, I only get a job whenever the phone goes. So, and because I don't have Irish, the Irish qualifications, so I'm not able to teach, you know. Anyway, that's by the by. But um, whenever I was teaching in China, what I, would, what I would do is tell all the parents that what I teach the children is that life gives you knocks and what music or any art gives you is a form of escapism that you can get away from whatever craziness is going on in your life and you can just immerse yourself in in your art whether it's drawing or music or whatever and that's not easily attainable for, for most people you know so why am I saying that? I'm saying that because of the grades. You said you you said that you don't really teach it as being in a competitive way, and I I think that's a wonderful wonderful thing that you're doing. I think that grades can serve a, a purpose, absolutely, yeah. and that we will do grades with um, students if it serves the student. Mm. We won't sit and do grade one one year and grade two the next year and grade three the next year. Because the, the the nature of an exam syllabus, it's not a syllabus of learning. Mm-hmm. So you end up with three pieces and your scales. But three pieces aren't enough. Mm. And three pieces, if you look at a year, so within a music school, that's 30, 33 weeks. Does that mean a kid is playing one piece for 10 weeks? Mm. That's a horrendous use of time. A kid should be playing five pieces in 10 weeks because they're capable of that progression rate, the same way as the orchestras, the progression rate goes up. Mm. If you're taking 10 weeks to learn a piece, the piece is too hard. Mm-hmm. It's too much of a, ga- of a gap. And that educationally, if you take the analogy of a piece of cling film over a pot and the cling film's solid, that's grand, you put a pinpoint in it and then stretch it. So you've got a gap in your knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's only a wee gap in your knowledge when you're in grade one. And then you pile grade two on top of it and you're only playing three pieces. By the time you get to grade five, there's a gaping hole of technical non-knowledge that then has to be filled. That's not fair in the kid. Mm -hmm. So that sort of Suzuki way of step by step, repeat, concrete it down, you know, it's it's the way to go. But... um, yeah, I like your idea of the dog and the hoop. <laughs> um, I have a lot of conversations with parents who phone me and say, I'd love my children to play music. Me personally, I have grade eight piano, but I can play nothing. Mm. And it means that the synaptic bridges weren't developed yeah. in a way in which you you do have a concrete. Yeah. So you can have grade eight and, and you had those three pieces and they were wow. Yeah. But you can play nothing else. And you can't go back and get your grade six piece Because to review it is as much hassle as it was to learn it originally. You need 10 weeks to learn it. That's... Do what I tell everybody is that get on the piano or guitar, whatever you want. Learn those basic chords, A minor, G minor 7. Learn Mm -hmm. them. G minor 7 is not a basic chord. Okay, okay. G minor. Forget about the 7s. Just learn G minor. And then what to do is jump on to ultimateguitar.com 
which has got all the chords for your favorite uh, songs. Mm-hmm. So it's pop songs. But it means that if you have the basics of, okay, E flat, C minor, A flat, B flat, if you, and you know, I grant you, those are kind of tricky enough chords, but they're not impossible to learn. Mm-hmm. And once you have that down, you can play, and you can even transpose on the on the ultimate guitar to play within your areas, the chords that you do know. But it means that you can actually play the songs and sing along and you have that escapism beyond having to labour over what scores you've learnt and what score you can yeah. you can read. I like the idea of escapism because it's, we work in a world in which children are, are on computer games a lot. Oh. <clears throat> in which... But the design of the computer game is to give you an endorphinic hit yeah. about every 30 seconds, which is why we want to do it. It's they're addictive. Yeah. We're getting it's like eating chocolate. Um, apparently the same enzymes are in broccoli, but it doesn't give you as much pressure. So but you get this hit of of goal orientated. I well done. OK, whereas music education is a real slow burner. Mm. And we've got to enjoy the process mm. and the moment, which is what you're talking about, this escapism. Yeah. I also think there's an extra element to it in which particularly with performance is that what do we want for our young people? We want them to be stable, happy human beings. Sort of it. Yeah. How do think- we build... Well, how do we, build, one, one happiness is a pride in oneself yeah. um, and a knowledge of stability, I think is based on something that isn't talked about that often, is a mental resilience, not mental health. Mental health is what we possibly do when we're talking about remedial stuff. Whereas how do we build this gravitas within somebody that can sit still and concentrate, like the eight-year-olds in my orchestra are concentrating for 52 minutes at a go without me pushing them. Mm. They just want to be there. But they couldn't do that at the start of the year. So that concentration, that stability, that if somebody walked in the room, they don't turn around and see who it is because they're not interested in who it is. They're interested in what's going on in front of them. Mm-hmm. And then this idea of mental resilience, that how do we build that mental resilience? Will you play a football match in public, drop the ball and pick it back up again? Play a musical concert in which you make a mistake and you know, because we've trained them from day one, does it matter if you make a mistake? No. What's going to happen when you make a mistake? Nothing. Who's going to make most mistakes in this room? You. (laughs) Okay, now that we've established this. So mistakes are not a big deal. Mistakes are actually creativity. Mm. You know, it's apparently Miles Davis would make a mistake because he wasn't actually that good a musician, apparently. And Bill Evans would match the mistake the second time round. Yeah. Good man, Bill. And mis- that's that's the way to do it. Uh-huh. This is about mental resilience with our kids that builds this stability and this strength to be stable and to do the job interview and they throw you a curveball, you know, question and you go, Actually, this is easier than performing in the music school because there's, you know, 20 music specialists in any room at the same time. Uh You just get these magic, very capable kids who are not arrogant, Mm. but are together. Yeah. 
I think it's the coolest thing you can do with kids. I love the that you say you're going to make the most mistakes. Oh, yeah. Me. Oh, I will. Do you know what I use? <laughs> Whenever when teaching like a kid to play guitar, G chord going to D chord, mm. I'd say, look, you're taking all your fingers off the fretboard and then you're putting them back down again mm-hmm. for the D, but some of them don't need to move. Yeah, yeah. And then that I third say, one doesn't move. Yeah, I, and I say to them, you know, there's three things you got to remember about me. Number one, I'm old. Number two, I'm stupid. <laughs> and number three is I'm lazy. So those three things makes me do the most efficient th- way possible of learning, yeah. uh, of doing a chord change. And th- it, all those pennies drop, you know, and they get it, you know, that they're they're not taking their hand off the fretboard entirely and so on. And it's, it's like tension um, I'm talking about physical tension now rather than mental tension. Mm. Um, but mental tension causes physical tension is the enemy of playing something fluently. Yeah. And that I would say to the kids, you know, apart from marmalade, which is my favourite word in life, um, try instead of trying harder, try softer. Uh-huh. Just chill out, breathe, yeah. oxygenate, relax. You know, what is the smallest movement mm-hmm. that you need to do What's the least pressure that you need to put on that string to get a true note? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just chill, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I remember doing a really fascinating lesson with an adult. She came for a master class and she put up a piece um, and she played it through and it was really rocky. It was really shaky. And I could see, like, she was a good violinist, but she was very shaky. And I said, OK, when you look at this piece of music, what are you thinking about? And she pointed to the bar with like all the ledger lines and went, that one. Mm. <laughs> and went and photocopied it and cut the bar out. Oh. And just took the, took the like, is, have you any other problems with this piece? And she went, no, but as soon as I look at it, I'm thinking about that mm. bar. So, okay, so I physically cut the bar out, put the piece of paper up in front of her. She played it beautifully. Mm. And you go, okay, we need to work on this bar, but we don't need to work on the bar in the, in the context of the piece, mm. you know, take this aside. Uh-huh. Right. So what's the issue with it? Okay. And bite sized. Yeah. So it's okay. It's a mad position shift or something. Okay. Well, how are you going to get there? Let's practice that. Uh-huh. You know, going back to Zaziki, what Zaziki does is it identifies the bar in the piece that is going to be the problem and teaches that skill 17 pieces previously. So you never have, if the teacher's doing their job, you never have a technical issue with a piece Mm. because we've dealt with it in advance. You've acquired the skills running up to it. Yes. Yeah. So the child should never have a problem if it's been, if you were, if we're slowly, slow enough. Yeah. And that's a really important one. We had very interesting circumstance over, um, when we were teaching online during 2021, mm-hmm. 2020, and that we do, with my students, I would do a progression projection mm-hmm. at the start of September. When I've had a kid sort of two or three years and I know what to expect, and I'd look and go, okay, I really, if I'm going to be keeping my standard of progression rates up with that child, I should really be in X place. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a series of books that go with Suzuki, so I could say, I should be at the end of book three, by May. Mm-hmm. And we did those three or four months online, um, March to June of 2020. And I looked at my students and went, what? 
they were all gone past mm. where I thought they would be. And we actually sat and looked at it in the school and we, a lot of us discovered the same thing. And we're going, hold on a second here. And it was because we were teaching in an uh, unfamiliar environment. So you're with a computer. We had divided up skills into even smaller steps. Mm-hmm. And we'd also had videos, like we videoed the lesson. So you did a Zoom lesson, the kids just videoed it on their computer. And then they went through the lesson every week. So we had two conditions. One was we went slower mm-hmm. and two, the kid did exceptional practice. Mm. Everybody was very, because it was videoed and because, yeah. and the kid went faster. Mm. We went slower mm. and the kid went faster. That's brilliant. Isn't it? Uh-huh. How many children do you have in your school? We have 473 families. I know this because of our particular backline system. Um, I would gauge about 650-ish. Wow. And yeah. How many teachers is, is that? About 40. And how many, what size is your physical building? Uh, we've got two. Okay, so we've got one that is ours that has nine rooms. Um, and we also use, thanks to Daniel Highland in Claren College, we have an overspill campus there. Um, so we've nine rooms within Claren College as well. Wow. Um, it's great. Thanks to the Community Council and Ethan Wye for buying the, the, the premises that we're in. Um, here, here. Absolutely. Wow. Big, sh- big shout out to them. Yeah. So That's... it makes a big difference when you have a concrete, permanent, dedicated space. Mm. And that when you're walking in to the music school and all the posters are up from previous events and you've got piano going on in one room and cello going on in another room. And it's this, again, this multiplying effect. But it means that, like, if we, everybody wants to play violin or piano. Mm. We need cellists. We need guitarists. We need drummers. We need clarinetists. Yeah. We need, and if you are hearing an instrument, you're much more likely to, to, to take it up. It's why that music rich environment yeah. ended up with all these musicians because you are, have got experience. You know, how do we end up with a trombone player unless their dad played trombone mm. or unless they're taken to jazz clubs? So it's all about this experience. And I think like I love walking into the music school. I am tickled and proud and excited pretty much every time. And I sort of pinch myself mm. and go, how lucky are we? Yeah, you reminded me of that quote by I saw an interview with uh, Stuart Copeland, the composer slash drummer yeah. of, the, of the Police, and he uh, he was asked he, he was he was reimagining a scenario where he was asked, you know, by the by the teacher in a classroom, who here plays the tuba? Oh, that'd be me. He puts his <laughs> hand up. He hasn't a clue, yeah, but he's yeah. thinking, right, I'm going to learn it for that part, and. Now he's a composer. I mean, he made a very successful career out of being a musician. Mm. Yeah. And scored loads of movies and all the rest. Yeah. Well, you've really knocked me for six now to tell me the size of your organization. Should I mention that how this com- how we came together is, sure. is through my cousin, William Cahill. Hello there in, uh, in US of A. He, uh, he is very plugged into Galway uh, City and County. And he said, oh, you need to talk to Catherine, you know, uh, 
And Thank he, you, Willie. Yeah, and he 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 knows um, a lot of your friends, so he uh, suggested that I talk to you. So I've entered in this conversation not knowing much about Athenry uh, Music School dot com, <laughs> <laughs> but the size of it is ginormous. Wow, that's phenomenal. I think I still know all the kids' names. Do you? I think so. I sort of re- I reinforced them a lot. I was really bad in the nineties. I didn't understand that you need to make an effort yeah. with names and that we do one big event. It's actually in the cathedral again, um, generally around April of each year. And it's every single kid that can carry their instrument. Yeah. So we call it the mega concert because it's going to be mega, you know. Um, and I we do rehearsals through the week. And part of the rehearsals is like a break in the middle. We're in for two hours. We could have four-year-olds in for two hours. So we need to be up and down, you know, sit down there, love, you'll be fine. And stand up again. But we do a conversation in the middle that's about how do you form communities? Uh And we talk about um, physically, if you're sitting in a row and you turn towards somebody, you actually turn your back towards somebody else. Mm. So conversational triangles work really nicely. Mm. Little circles work really nicely. And we actually say to them then, how do you welcome somebody? So it's like, you know, hi, offender. And then and then turn away. Have I been welcoming? No, Catherine. You know, OK, hi, offender. How was your day? Grand. Is that an open question or a closed question? Mm. It's, it's, it's a little bit of both, actually. You know, what colour socks have you got on is a closed question. Yeah. It's just an answer. Whereas where would you like to go on holiday and who would you like to go with? Yeah. And they go, oh, I'd like to go to Manchester with David Beckham. Or most of them actually say, I'd like to go to Spain with my mummy. You know, but you get this conversation, you, you actually end up with a conversation. Yeah. And it's teaching them that conversation is how you get communities. Mm. But how you really get a community is you know somebody's name. Mm. And if you forget their name, ask them again. Mm. And if you forget their name, ask them again. Because I'll forget your name. And there's maybe a hundred kids at each rehearsal. Um, but I have, remember, I've, like I've got a list for yeah. a start. So I've reinforced and I've revised and I've done my study. And as they walk in, I go, oh, you're Isla. Or, or your brother's Daniel, isn't it? And your mommy's Deirdre. Yeah. And you get them in threes. Right. But I then go through the whole rehearsal and I go, right, okay, we've got Fender and we've got Cormac and we've got Rory and we've got... Yeah. And if I know the names. So it's that whole connection. And they call me Catherine. Uh-huh. That's brilliant. You know? Um terrifying (laughs) but it's par as well because if you're doing if you're doing an event with 400 kids and if I can look at the teenage fella in the back and go you know Bill (laughs) stop it (laughs) Um, it it gives great control it's also a relationship you should know people's names yeah well uh, I'm I'm pausing here because um, people forget my name and I I don't take that personally Uh, and I say to him, you can call me Barnaby if you want. Just don't forget my face. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, I, I, I think I'm a bit peculiar in that. So I think that's very secure of you. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And, and you know, and for for because I I forget people's names. That's that's why I, I accept it so well. You know that um, I don't. My I will for I I'll know. There's a lady here outside. She walks her dog, and I who knew her name for about a month and a half, and then I forgot her name. And then, after three months, the name came back to me. 
Oh, that's mad. Okay, yeah. well, that's the way your brain works. It's like getting the crossword solution in the morning when you've gone to bed and you didn't know it and, you didn't know it and then your brain works on your sleep. Yeah. I think names with everything are so important. And I don't know whether anybody is offended if you say, I'm so sorry. Like yeah. I got your name a month and a half ago and I, it's just gone straight out of my head. I think it's a problem when you know somebody for 10 years, yeah. <laughs> you know, which often happens in communities. And do you know what um, I did as well? I, I was playing in a session. I, I, I've played in a few trad sessions. There's a guy called Rodney and he's a lovely guy. And I was, I was playing with him, having a crack with him. And then the next week, I was calling him Declan. <laughs> and, I, and I was introducing him. Oh, do you know Declan? And then, <laughs> and then another week, a few weeks went past and then I saw him again. And then I was standing beside him and went, hold on a second. Your name's not Declan at all. You're Rodney. <laughs> and I says, yeah. I says, why didn't you correct me? He says, because you made me sound, you're so convinced that that was my name, I was beginning to question myself. Okay, so we do, <laughs> we do say to the kids, and like I'm highly dyslexic, so if I get the wrong pronunciation into my mouth, I'm a, I'm sunk. Yeah. I need to get it right. Yes. Um, or I need to get it wrong as few times as possible. So we say to our kids, we should, you, you actually have the right to correct me. Yeah. So it's not this sort of normal teacher-child relationship in which if a child corrects a teacher, they're criticising yeah. and they're being cheeky. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the way it works in the music school. If you, if I do something or if I get your name wrong, then you you do get to correct me. And that's mm. actually openly said right at the start mm. um, with these kids, particularly if they're in a grip. Um, I had a mad one a couple of years ago that a kid is sitting in front, a um, wonderful violinist called Panache. Hello, Panache. Um, and she's sort of the conscience of the, the grip. Um, she's, she's very capable. And I had done hairpins. So hairpins are actually a thing that looks like a hairpin, starts small, like a greater down sign. You know, and they're on the sheet of music and it's what does it mean? And it's like, and I'd said, you know, you need to get louder and this is how you get louder. You know, so you use more bow and we can use more weight, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then like about a week later and I'm looking at the kids and they've got this hairpin underneath. Nothing's happening. And I'm yelling, would you ever crescendo? Like, come on, lads. And Panasha turned around and went, what's a crescendo? Oh, oh, you're right. Mm. I didn't ever connect mm. that sign with that word. Mm. Mm. Okay, good girl. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think it's really powerful when a teacher apologizes to a group of kids. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm sorry. Yeah. I got it wrong. Or a parent to a child as well. Yeah, it's very strong. Mm. It's a it's a real sign of of being considerate and that we are working a partnership. These kids are going to be adults. These kids are going to legislate for our old age. Mm. <laughs> Let's be nice to them. Mm. I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just thinking about, you know, if I if I expect my children to apologize to me, how can I not apologize to them whenever I get so. it wrong? You know? Yeah. yeah. We can't get it right all the time. Exactly. But we can listen when we get it wrong. Mm. We can listen in a meaningful way. And there is always ways to address or solve or mitigate. Um, but I think even acknowledge. Mm, yeah. You know. So, um, sorry to drag you back to, Not the, at all. to the interview. This is an interesting <laughs> tangent we're going off. Um, I'm going to ask you about fees and school regs. Okay. Um, there are very few school regs. Um, these are all on the website. Mm. So the fees are on the website as well. 
Um, the school is run as a not-for-profit. So it's now, um, it is a CLG format. What's that? CLG is a company limited by guarantee. It, it means that Helen and I set it up originally um, as a partnership and then as a limited company. And as that limited company became bigger and there were more kids and we obviously brought pianos and things like that. And essentially over the last three, four years, Helen and myself had been talking about um, we're getting older, we would like the school to continue and we decided we would, it's, it's a, we've donated all the instruments to trust. So essentially we've given away our business, but that I am now employed as the CEO of the business. Helen is still a member of the company and that we have a board of directors who make sure that we are along our constitutional ethical lines um, and that I check back in with them. They, you know, we we do governance stuff together and stuff like that. Um, so the, they will guide us as far as the fees are concerned. We are aware that music edu- education isn't accessible to everybody. And it's why we do run accessible music programs within as many primary schools as we can with lessons for as little as a fiver. Um, our choirs are run on a total not-for-profit. Not for um, and if anybody wants to look at the music school and thinks, OK, I can't afford that, then just approach us. There is a scholarship fund that we we fundraise for each year and that we're very proud of our scholarship kids. Um, we don't actually tell the teacher uh, it's a scholarship kid. Um, we're just delighted to have them. And if a parent is in the school and their circumstances change, you know, somebody loses their job, it, we are very approachable to a support mechanism for them to get them through that blip so that their kids don't lose out. Um, and that's the way that one works. Um, there's no regulations as such. Be, mm. be nice. I'll be nice to you. Yeah. Um, look after your gear and your gear will look after you. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Very much so. Um, be respectful. Ask before you touch an instrument. There's mm. very few policies. I used um, to have... Talk to me if there's a problem. I used to have this... Um, when, I was, when I was a teacher, I was, I was learning the IB way, which is the International Baccalaureate uh, way. Oh, yeah. So um, we were encouraged to have... What was it? Essential agreement. That's what it was. So an agreement between you and the kids, almost like a charter. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do the, We'll do this together. And we were always encouraged not to have... I'm using the negative there. A negative, you know. Oh, yeah. So I remember... If you can say yes to kids, say yes. Yes, yeah. that's correct. And there's some there's some great ones we we came up with, which was uh, um, always try your best, you know, like um, very simple ones, you know. And, Trying your best is a massive statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and another one is um, uh, follow the leader. And what I meant that that by that was not follow the teacher because I was encouraging the kids to become yeah. the conductors and then they're the leader. So it's up to the kids to follow that person. That's interesting. Okay. Within our group stuff, within orchestras, we actually only have one rule. Uh, it's a it's a positive, but then there isn't a, an antithesis to it that um, we laugh as a group. I like that, yeah. Okay. We don't laugh at an individual and it's, I'm, I'm like, I'm in my fifties. 
there's a great patience that comes in your in sort of later life um, in which I don't get fussed too often and I don't get cross because mm. it just takes too much energy. Mm. I'll round on somebody who laughs at an individual because we're you're so vulnerable in a musical setting. Mm. We're all offering something and that if a clarinet squeaks or something like that, if he giggles, that's fine. Mm. We're laughing with him. But if he doesn't giggle, you don't giggle at him. And I'll 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 be quite cross with a kid mm. in those circumstances. But that's just kindness. Yeah. But laughing as a group, there's nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. It's so much fun. That's brilliant. That's about it. Yeah. You're reminding me of something I wanted to say earlier, which was a quote my kids gave me the other day. You're either, and they play chess, and I know this is, we're talking about, chess is competitive and music is not, but the, the line is stuck with me, like glue. It's, it's, you're either winning or learning. Mm. That's my kids talking to me. That's you know? really great. They probably got it from YouTube. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but the thing is, wow, mind blowing. Like they're yeah. playing chess. Yeah. If they're looking at chess on YouTube, you're all right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, we talked about all the different things like orchestras, ensembles and choirs. What about your camps? Talk about them. We have a wonderful, I think it's the me- it's the best fun. The best fun. Nathan Rye. No, <laughs> um, it's myself and Katerina Baker. Uh, so Katerina Baker is the director of Cool Music in Gort. And she'd phoned me about 15 years ago and said, would you like to set up a summer camp? And I said, yes. In about a millisecond. And since then, we've worked together. And essentially, we have a residential camp that is now in the Byron Outdoor Centre. Uh, and we take kids from our the two schools, from Athenoy and Cool. But we've also kids from Finland, from Belgium, from France. Um, and they're coming across. And we live with the kids for the week. We have, uh, historically, we had a lady called Jared Nolan, uh, and now we've Early Farrell and they are the kitchen goddess. And this woman volunteers to cook for 50 people for a week. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh. Um, my son Dara comes across from Berlin. He would have come through that camp as a kid. Um, and we've Christy Collette who comes from Belgium um, and she comes across. So we've got a Northern Irish, German, um, Dara's Athenry born. You know, this lovely international feel. God knows how many languages gone on. And these kids play music a lot. And the progression rate is, it's serious. Like you do six months worth of work in five days. Wow. And because we're living with the kids and because we're, we're, we're there, you get, it's the most fun. And it's like we, Katerina and I had both separately, myself in Northern Ireland and her in Sweden and in Germany, gone on camps as teenagers. And we think it's, it was part of, the vitality of how we are musicians now. And we looked at the elements that we really liked in those camps. So one is we do a campfire every night. You do a sing song every night. Um, we feed the kids regularly. It's like nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, one yeah, o'clock, yeah. three o'clock, every two that. hours, you know. Um, we we do orchestra with them, obviously. We do string quartets with them. Um, but you look at birthdays as you get older and Christmases as you get older, and they're not as much fun as they used to be. Orchestra camp is still as much fun as it was when oh. I was 14. Mm. Um, and we had looked, like the two of us are the same age, we'd looked last year and gone, you don't necessarily always need to do something because you've done it before. 
Um, and the two of us, I, I'd slipped a disc in my neck and she'd slipped a disc in her back and it was two crocs with a bunch of teenagers. And we did we did the discussion and said, let's we are going to do this camp. Let's see how we feel. By the Wednesday, and we are always on the same page. I love working with Katerina because of that um, symbiotic relationship that we have. And the two of us looked and we were outside, you're looking at the barren hills and these kids are fluidly mixing between 12-year-old guys sitting with 17-year-old girls, kids from Holland sitting with kids from Finland, sitting from kids from Kinvara. And she said, if if we don't do this, we would be bereft. Mm. We would lose out. Mm. And it's that enriching. That's that's mm. so it's a residential camp. Um 12-year-olds to 18-year-olds. Um, I know I should talk logistics more, but it it's so much fun. I love you remind me of Paddy Glasgow. Who's Paddy Glasgow? Paddy Glasgow. When runs, he's at home. He, he runs Glasgowbury up in Northern Ireland. Okay. It's a festival that he started up. And then the festival grew and then he what he did was he turned that festival into a a, a facility where kids can go and perform uh, in the performing arts, but also learn video skills, audio mixing skills and all this here. So it's a facility. And he set it up very simply. He said, if you don't kick a football or head a hurley bat, there's nothing for you here. So that's why he started it up. And you remind me of that, that if you don't kick a football or head a hurley bat in, in that area of Galway, then you, this is a fantastic outlet for you. And not saying it's the only one, but it's an essential one. You can do both. I'd be a oh, yeah. massive advocate. Like, I'm a huge Ulster rugby supporter, yeah. um, despite the result this weekend. Um, and, I, and I'm speaking as a as a non-sports person. So I was always into music. And I didn't have, I mean, I played a bit of basketball as a kid, but I was always better than, than the, the coach realised. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought. And uh, so there was nothing for me. And, and that's why I gravitated towards music more and more. I think... The way that sport works, we we must be active. We must be physically yes. active. We must must stretch actually, mm. in a way in which now at fifty one with the slip disc and you know I understand um, in retrospect, please stretch all teenagers out there stretch. Uh, I think the difference is that when you play in an orchestra, every child is fielded all the time. Explain when that. well, when you play in a, your first fifteen. Uh, of your rugby, 15 kids or 21 kids on the panel are fielded. What happens to the other 40 mm. in that year group? What happens fielded to... Fielded as in tried out? Uh, fielded as in played that day during that match. Okay. See, I don't even know that term. Okay. <laughs> um, gosh, I said, um, could be the wrong term. I could be totally bluffing. So you end up with a, a com- competition before there's a competition. Mm. So that the kids that all go to training, those 30 lovely um, under 14s Mm. all go to training. But then there's a match that really matters. And 10 of them are left out. Mm -hmm. What does that do to the psychological well-being of that, those 10? Mm -hmm. And okay, sport is competitive. Mm -hmm. That's That's the nature of the beast. So up to a certain level in underage, it very much serves the kid. And then it serves the kids who are going to succeed in it. And what does that do? So do we end up with the kids that are picked being a little bit more arrogant than is 
healthy? Do we end up with the kids feeling more despondent who aren't picked? Do we end up with a hierarchical society in which I am and you're not? Mm-hmm. Whereas, and, I, and I'm not, like that is the, the nature of the beast. Um, and that's the nature of the world. You know, somebody will get the job and somebody won't get the job. We need to be able to have that mental resilience to know how much I'm going to achieve and how much I'm going to try to achieve more. But within an orchestral setting, we will field all the kids. Everybody plays all the time. Um, it is my responsibility as the conductor to present music that they can play or music that we are going to attain within a reasonable time frame. So I don't want it taking 10 weeks to learn something that's too long. Um, but I definitely want, well, it's too long to learn six bars, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you're not so that's it. the difference. It's an egalitarian society in which everybody is merited. And the orchestra is only as good as the least secure person in the room. Very good. That, that's massive to me. Mm. If somebody feels unconfident or um, scared, they won't play well. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So, you talked a little bit about the events and... Uh, you have loads of the events, in fact, all of the events listed on com, so <laughs> they can just go there. I only have a final question, which is future plans. Future plans. Do you know what? Um, like we have an event coming up. We know about next December. We tend to plan about 18 months in advance. So that concert that's gone on in Galway Cathedral with Ruth Smith and Dara's piece. Um, that piece is called Elemental Dance. This one has legs. This has so many elements of environmental health, well-being, um, singing together. So there's a, there's a germ. There's about five of us that have had the same idea, actually, independently. So we're going to watch this space for that one. Um, and we will simply keep going and doing the best job we possibly can with the best structured school um, that we can achieve. Um, I suppose the big thing over the last year was the formation of the, that board that and the, the, the changing into the charitable status that will allow continuity you know, past my time, um, which is really important, and the development of new staff, that we have uh, our first graduate coming out of a music school that is now on the Suzuki teacher training course. And I'm so pleased about Um And we've lots of graduates coming up through college at the moment. So it's that thing of setting up 17 years ago with a bunch of four-year-olds. They're now coming out of college. That gets exciting. Mm-hmm. That's that's fresh blood coming in, that this lovely, wonderful um, enthusiasm that a fresh graduate out of college brings, that they think they can do anything, and they they therefore they can, you know. Brilliant. Yeah. Do you have a message for staff, parents, and most importantly, your students? Enjoy yourself. Have fun. <sighs> Brilliant. Short and sweet. Yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to say? Uh, 
it's been an exceedingly um, exhaustive, not exhausting, pleasurable experience. Um, and thank you very much. Yeah, no, the feeling's mutual. Um, I've really been thrilled with this and it's surprising how much I miss teaching. Um, it is a bug, isn't it? It is. You yeah. Know? And it's, uh, I don't drink, um, so it's a bit of an addict. An addictive drug as well, you know, I remember, as I say, that moment whenever you get the mu- the music lifted off the ground, away from the computer, into the air, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the plane is flying. And I used to always stop at the end and say, kids, you know, we've flown this plane, let's have a round of applause, you know. And they'll be so psyched up for it, you know. So yours is much bigger. You know, I was a I was a department of one, so uh don't think size matters. You But that's real. Is 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 That's what we want the kids mm. to experience. Yeah. That it's a it's a buzz that takes no energy apart from your own. Like if you look at a bunch of musicians playing in a session in Galway, they're not expelling anything apart from carbon dioxide. <laughs> they're not using anything. Yeah. It's a very good solid way it's like going for a run mm. you know you get endorphins from it you feed yourself it's that in- investment and then you give so much pleasure mm. and I do think as a musician there's an opportunity and a responsibility to give you know so if you ask me what I would say to the students it's play at every opportunity mm-hmm. share so that you know grandparents on whatsapp video calls mm. play to them have you any idea how tickled your granny will be? Mm. You know, that um, give concerts, but you can, you know, one of the students actually had a really nice thing that he had to come up with free ideas for Christmas presents. And he had vouchers for like Saturday lunchtime concerts. I will come to your house and oh. I'll play, I'll play a concert for you. Crack an idea. Please. But, and it enthuses the people around you and it just enriches life. Yeah. Brightens their day as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Brightens that. my day. I must remember that. I got to steal that. Or oh, the voucher thing. Aye. Oh, my kids write me compositions for my birthdays, cheeky monkeys. <laughs> I haven't got a present in years. <laughs> well, that's much more much more important. <laughs> I, I remember my mate Dave, he, he wrote a song f- for me, you know, and um, and I said, is it very easy to write a song for somebody else? It's more difficult to get a song written for you, you know, like, you know, on a volunteered basis. Yeah. Um, I got one for my 50th. That's um, brilliant. Uh, yeah. Okay. Play Thank on, you. play on. Yeah. Aye. Aye. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Fender. Cheers now, Catherine. All the best. This has been a Salt Hill Media original podcast and production. This podcast is unfunded. To date, we have not even run ads that generate an income. At Salt Hill Media, we pride ourselves on spreading positivity in a world that we believe can do with it. If you like what it is that we do, then why not support us? You can do so by going to salthillmedia.com and buy us a coffee. Alternatively, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash the Ireland podcast. If you cannot afford to or would prefer not to make a donation, you can support us in other ways by encouraging family or friends to listen. 
or you can leave a positive rating on your podcast player. And while you're in there, why not look up Salt Hill Media to see what other podcasts we are producing which may be of interest. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media channel. We appreciate all of your support. Thank you.